Welcome to this episode of Kennedy Saves the World. So maybe you have people in your life who know a few scientific sounding terms and they project those onto items or programs and they virtue signal to make you think that they have a scientifically founded hidden insight into some secret realm that makes their life better than yours. Those people are traditionally very, very annoying. And oftentimes we are not armed with enough science to combat and defeat them in ways that are entirely necessary. Well, thank God for a book that's been out for about a year that you must read if there are people like that in your life who abuse scientific terms without really knowing what they mean to diminish you and make their lives seem great. It's like a pseudoscientific social media experiment. Uh, There's a book called Quantum Bullshit, How to Ruin Your Life with Advice from Quantum Physics. Chris Ferry is the author. He's an associate professor at the University of Technology, Sydney, in Australia. Here you go, and Chris Ferry, welcome to Kennedy Size the World. <laughs> uh, glad to be here. Glad to be here. I'm glad you're here because um, so I did study some physics in college, which I really, really loved because when I first studied physics in high school. Um, it was accidental because I couldn't get into another science class, but I felt like I read a manual on the universe and, and things for the first time kind of made sense that were mysterious before. Um, and then in college, I studied philosophy and, and studied a little bit of philosophy of science, which sort of married two very mysterious realms. But the the philosophy of science professors that I had and the physics professors were all very adamant that you not abuse the instruction manual that they were cracking open for you to justify these mysterious realms like astrology and crystals, which is what you tackle in your book. So why are, are people drawn to the idea of using things that can be kind of hard to understand conceptually like quantum physics and applying it to things which are purposefully mysterious like astrology and things newer things like manifestation? Uh, I think it's, it's convenience and I mean, it's a good strategy. I think if you have something that on the face of it looks miraculous and then you're told that there's this other miraculous thing, but it's, you know, it's real and it's scientific, then that just fills that gap so well that it, you know, you, as the bullshitter, you want to just get people to shut up and believe you and buy your product. So if you insert quantum in there, so the story is like, I have this thing. Yeah, that seems miraculous, but it's based on quantum physics, which is like super complicated. You don't understand it. Superpositions, man. The Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Yeah. Duh, get it? All that stuff. And you're like, wait, what? How do I'm sorry. How does that apply to the fact that I've been historically very bad at picking romantic partners? And they never really bridge the gap. But as you point out in your That's book It's because you don't understand the connection between love and entanglement. That's <laughs> it's simple. <laughs> yes, entanglement. But the thing about physics, and I remember reading this in one of Neil deGrasse Tyson's books is physicists love to take words 
that mean something in common parlance and they just arbitrarily stick them on things in physics really just to take the piss out of everyone. <laughs> would you well, would you say sometimes. entanglement is is like that? Because we think of entanglements like Will Smith and Jada Pinkett and uh, that super hot guy that she was apparently dating when they were secretly separated. Like we think of entanglements like that. But as you point out, <laughs> entanglements to Einstein were something totally different. Yeah, that's right. So it's actually a funny thing because the word was first coined in German. And so you might say so some, maybe it's a mistranslation, but the, actually the person who translated it to English was the person who wrote it in German. So it's entirely his fault. Um, yeah. So, it, but you know, you use, we don't have words. We have to, we can't invent. I think it would, it, it'd be worse if we just invented new words, because then we just have an entirely completely new language in science. So we use words that are like the closest analogy, but then that has the uh, knock-on effect that people will assume it is more deeply connected to that analogy than it is. Did you see the movie, What the Bleep Do We Know? I've seen parts of it, yeah. Did it make you That's mad? <laughs> because uh, it's, it's, sort of, I, well, it's sort of so one I of those was, things that, that yeah. your book, which is very funny, and you cuss a lot throughout the book, which makes me laugh because you have not only great ways of deflating a lot of popular balloons, but also a wonderful way of describing complicated things without being a jerk about it and making people feel stupid for having to reread a couple paragraphs that, you know, maybe they had learned about at some other point, but getting a refresher in your book um, is actually, it, it's a very gracious way of writing. But as you were, it's it's bullshit. And that's that's the basis for your book. There's a lot of pseudoscience out there that people try and cloak in in real science. And is it your mission to separate the two? Well, I think that, yeah, as you said, that most of the book is, is about humor, but I did want to explain concepts in quantum physics the best that I could. So the, the book, you know, secretly is about explaining quantum physics um, to people. I, I co cover bullshit, pseudoscience, all that stuff in the book, but not in, in so much detail because it's actually difficult. Uh, you know, all those things that you mentioned before, manifestation, these sorts of, they'll, they'll pop up on your newsfeed and the internet and a YouTube video. But you know, by the time the book's published, they won't exist anymore because the scam will be revealed and that person will have moved on. So it's actually quite hard to pin down very specific examples, though I did give a, give a few in the book. So, I mean, you know, I'm not so interested in, in pseudoscience. I, it, my advice in the book is just, you know, recognize it and then just walk away. Don't engage. How has uh, quantum physics historically ruined people's lives? <laughs> well, I, probably the first instance was uh, the famous uh, Marie Curie, who uh, discovered radioactivity. Radium. Uh, Shea Stadium, and, you know, the radium. Gave, gave the explanation for what, yeah, gave the explanation for, for what it was. Um, a brilliant scientist, but didn't really understand the consequences at the time. Uh, and then they used to put radium in water so you you know there you can look on photos obviously you can't buy it anymore but a you know a product called called radium water and there was some 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 study that they had done on salamanders or something that suggested like i don't know it's, it's had like it's the similar effects to viagra and so it became popular <laughs> um but obviously Drinking radioactive water is not, not such a good idea. You can have a um. rock-hard salamander penis, 
and your face will yeah. melt off your head for just fourteen ninety nine. Small price to pay. <laughs> I mean, but you can't. I'm sure you, people would still buy it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's easy to get mad at people who didn't know things, but I don't think you're responsible for being at you know the the beginning side of an evolution. Like you don't know what you don't know. You can't necessarily be responsible for that like you can't get mad at a 12 year old for not knowing what it feels like to miss a mortgage payment um and i think you know the the same is true for the evolution of science but uh i i I i'm not i'm not upset about people misunderstanding things and then repeating it it's that that i call horseshit so the bullshit (laughs) is when it's like intentional you know with nefarious purposes Yes. And, and you do go into that. And, you know, I, I was thinking about it because um, it's there. There is something so attractive about, you know, wanting to understand how the world works and, and how to make your world better by wanting to understand that. And then there are people who naturally, and, you know, maybe this is just human nature, that there are people who want to defraud people who are curious how to make their lives better because, you know, of something that they're missing. And they're like, well, maybe I'm missing a piece of knowledge or a skill or something that's easy to get. And then there are people who just want to defraud them and be like, yes. Yeah, I think I think that's right. You hit on all the right things. I think the key thing there is easy, right? The word easy or simple. Uh, th- those things that you know, people want to understand the universe, they want to answer all these big questions. You know, why am I here? How do I make my life better? All that stuff. And the answer, uh, whatever it may be in the details, should be it's difficult, right? Not easy. So if someone is selling you something that is an easy, simple solution to these big problems, then odds are they're they're full of shit. and then the, you know those people just see the opportunity right there's somebody who uh, is is naive and there's a way to make money off of them there's lots of people out there that are are willing to do that as well yeah and it's you know it is fraud is a dishonest proposition prostitution is a much more honest proposition uh but you know we criminalize everything that's intuitive in our society all right, we got more of this interview after this. But I want to talk a little bit about, I don't know if you were following this story in Miami because I'm fascinated by this. So just a few days ago in Miami, there was a massive police response, like more so than they would have for an active shooter or an ongoing terrorist attack. And so they shut down this mall. They're just, it's like a mile of police cars, lights and sirens surrounding this mall and people said they swore that it was eight-foot aliens in the mall that had to be contained. So, you're a scientist. (laughs) You know that the universe is very big. You know that there are billions of stars and galaxies and that the this great mysterious laboratory that allowed us to be birthed on this planet that probably there's a mathematical probability that that exists somewhere else. So if it exists somewhere else, there's a good chance it's existed for a long time. And if people have been around for or things 
have been around for a long time, evolving and maybe thinking and creating and then traveling, and they've, they have a lot more trial and error than we do, then, you know, that's all mathematically possible. Maybe not probable. But let's say the aliens got here and they went to Miami because Miami seems like a fun place to party, even if you're eight feet tall and you look a little bit out of place and there's really no way of blending in, and then someone calls the cops. So as a quantum physicist, how do you explain how the aliens, the eight-foot aliens got from wherever they were to where we are now? Well, they didn't. I mean, that's the simple answer. God! Uh, yeah, no, there's no. no aliens. There's no aliens here. That, you don't think nonsense. so? No, absolutely not. Uh, do I think that there is life elsewhere in the universe? Yes, there probably is, with with all likelihood. But the I think what people don't realize is just how vast outer space is. So, like even like the idea that humanity is going to leave the solar system, let alone you know our planet and you know the the dozen people that went on the moon, it is ridiculous. It's not going to happen. It's it, the space between stuff in the universe is it's mind-bogglingly vast it's just not going to happen and and even if they could they would be smart enough not to show up here and definitely smart enough not to be in florida <laughs> okay so but if there are things that travel faster than light yes no okay let's Nothing say there let, let's say there is something that travels faster than light <laughs> and and well, then you've broken the laws of physics and anything's possible i mean but it's it's a, right? a zero mass <laughs> entity that can travel faster than light is that uh, how the aliens would so, get here then, well then they wouldn't have any mass <laughs> but what if they reassemble once they get here what if they have little tiny zero mass spaceships and they're they're itty bitty bits, and the, you know then they all magically reassemble here into eight foot aliens, and then go into a mall in Florida. Is that possible? No, no, it's not. Uh, and yeah, again, it doesn't just doesn't. I mean, this is you were bringing into this uh, into it uh, our inflated sense of self importance with relation to the universe. Uh, you know. No, no, nobody's coming here. Nobody nobody cares. Is there somewhere else that we should go that's better? That maybe has like moderate weather no, year round. This place is. Like you don't get sunburned. <laughs> you can you can be outside a lot. Mm. No one gets seasonal affective disorder. Oh, you're talking about Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Australia yeah. is pretty I'm great. Yeah. No, I understand why oh, you would go place. there. And Australians are really, they're really funny. They all have great senses of humor. And the ones that I know like to drink. Are they serious about it's, consuming quantum physics in Australia? There's an appetite for it. Yeah. There's there's less bullshit here, I would say. Uh, people are more, more sensible. Uh, yeah, also just more laid back. So all this extreme stuff you see on the news um, in, in the U.S. just doesn't, really happen in Australia like that that kind of event that you're describing which I hadn't heard about is uh, yeah I tried to avoid avoid news coming out of your country for the most part uh, but it, it that just wouldn't happen in Australia Pe people would just they would just laugh it off well that's right? because they have the most dangerous things in the world like every dangerous thing 
Every single one is concentrated in Australia, which is why everyone is having a great time right. because they have accepted <laughs> that the veil between life and death is so incredibly thin that it's much better to gamble and err on the side of life and fun. So they've totally given into it because it doesn't matter if it's the deadliest snake or spider or saltwater crocodile or shark or some weird glowing jellyfish. They're all they're all there in Australia. I mean, it's it's kind of miraculous that anyone is still alive. <laughs> yeah, they probably that's their attitude. If they heard about an eight foot alien, they'd probably say, "I'll take that over the eight foot croc." Yeah, exactly. But... <laughs> yeah, it's not all nothing like a salty that... mate, chicken skin. <laughs> all right. Yeah, so... so I think Australians though they they say most of the stuff that can kill you in Australia can be flushed down the toilet. And they're afraid of North American animals. They say polar bears, they they hunt you. Whereas spiders, it's like, oh, you accidentally step on one. Yeah, but they got they've got serious spiders down there. I mean, accidentally, and then it's like good night, Sally. Um, so <laughs> tell me people want to explain love. Is is there how do you explain love using physics or quantum physics? You, you don't. It's not possible. I mean, love is is, is very complicated. Uh, Quantum physics is complicated. <laughs> so the, the standard story is like love is a connection between two people. And in quantum physics, there's this thing called entanglement, which is like a connection between two particles. So maybe since they're both mysterious, they must be related. Uh, and then if, if someone tries to explain it beyond that, it, then just goes completely off the rails but that, that there's no con, there's no connection the the entanglement is a correlation between quantum things like atoms and and, and atoms of light and those happen in laboratories in very very controlled conditions and it's subtle it happens between two tiny in, yeah imperceptibly tiny things you know a human body brain mind, heart, whatever, is enormous. You, you, you can't entangle two people. And even if you could, it would be disastrous. It would have nothing to do with, with love, except for maybe if it's going to show up on a crime podcast or something. Or an ultrasound. I mean, that's, that's what people well, would say, like, yeah. we're in love and, and we entangled and our entanglement is a baby. <laughs> uh, that's the manifestation of entanglement. Yes. Uh, look, you can use those words. That's fine. You can use all those words. If, 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 if the analogy, you know, if you understand quantum physics and the analogy of your love for another person to quantum physics works for you, that's fine. But, you know, don't write a book about it and then try to sell it to other people. No, I agree with that. But I, it's, it's one of the mysterious things. It's as mysterious as looking into the heavens. And, and trying to figure out, did we come from that? Can we harness that? Is there, is there meaning? Is there an aboutness to what I'm seeing and experiencing? And people have the same thoughts uh, when they're confronted with profound feelings, whether it's faith or love. Um, and I don't think they're entirely subjective. I think that they're incredibly important. Um, are they all related to 
the bizarre world of quantum physics? I don't know that they are. I don't know that. I mean, I guess that's what people in your field struggle to reconcile is whether or not these things can be unified and whether or not it is necessary. We have more of this interview in moments coming up. Um, Do you think it is necessary to be an atheist if you embrace physics? Necessary? No, I don't think so. It it all depends on how, say, you your religion is incorporated into into your work. You know, because because physics, we we often have this view of physics as this uh, higher level pursuit that has somehow consequential to the entire universe and and at least humanity and society. But really, physicists like they do really simple things during during the day, like they work, answer emails, you know, teach students, all that stuff. So if you can do your job. Uh, and that it, then it doesn't really matter what you know what you believe at home or in the shower, but if if it starts to affect your job, then then obviously that's not good, and it that will that will come out right in sort of in the market, right? <laughs> you're going to be bad at your job, you're going to get bad performance reviews, and you're going to get fired. So and that sort of thing doesn't bother bother me either. Uh, and you know it's all about making making analogies. So if you understand something, it, in my in when I do physics, I'm making analogies to what I know in my everyday world, even though sometimes those aren't great. But you know it's just how you have to get along if you because we don't understand this this world that we can't see, perceive, uh, or access with you know our you know chubby little fingers and and limited capability to sense light and sound and stuff. So you have to make these analogies. And that's always where the danger comes in. So if you make mundane analogies, then you probably won't, it's not going to be bad. But if you make fantastical analogies, then then that's where things are going to go wrong. Um, do you think that uh, the Higgs boson particle, is that how you say it? Yeah, the, the Higgs boson. Yeah. yeah. Do you think yeah. that he was like, I'm never going to be able to perceive it with my hot dog fingers? Probably, I mean, he knew what it he knew what it would look like if you quote like air quotes saw it right. It's yes. a little blip on a screen. I mean, that's, that's why what I said perceive. See. I didn't say saw. I said perceive. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. What is so, the greatest yeah. scientific invention in the last thirty years? Thirty years. Uh, you can go shorter. You can go. Invention. You can say a year. You can say five years. You can say twenty years. You, it, you mean like timetable. invention in the like the sense of a like physical technology object, or do you mean invention like an invented theory? Either one. Ooh, how exciting! Okay. A buffet. <laughs> right. Well, I think uh, in the last thirty years, yeah. So in the nineties, we discovered that the acceleration, the expansion of the universe is accelerating, mm-hmm. and and that. Kind of created the standard model of cosmology. So whenever you know you you see Neil deGrasse Tyson or Michio Kaku uh, on on TV and they're showing all this cool cosmic stuff, that's all based on those discoveries that happened in the '90s. And on on like a grand scale, that's probably like the last big significant thing that has happened. Like uh, we don't we don't have anything new in the last thirty years on the scale of 
we're defining a new standard model of the entire universe. Right? You so don't think, think it's oscillating? Uh, I don't care if it. It's, that's it the matter. attitude. I mean, that's the slacker attitude I'm looking for. Yeah, don't care. Don't care. Well, it does. It really doesn't matter if it is right because if if you if you imagine that the universe is you know expanding and contracting mm -hmm. and you have this oscillating universe, mm -hmm. then when it contracts down to a single point, mm -hmm. then necessarily whatever happened before that is, is is essentially deleted you know it's like formatting your usb stick so but that's kind of like yeah, deleting it, all of your like, tweets mm. it's kind of exciting <laughs> it is exciting yeah in, in some sense it is yeah this is exhausting let's just get rid of it all yeah so okay other than that other than um the uh the theory the universe is expanding from the 90s, which I love the 90s, big fan. Um, what mm -hmm. about what about a, a thing, either a device or an apparatus? Well, I think we've been improving atomic clocks. I mean, quantum technology is will be the technology of the 21st century. And a lot of that is being developed. But you know, quantum physics is the basis for all of our modern technology, you know, including the way we're communicating now through quantum states of light through fiber optic cables and transistors, all that stuff, all based on quantum physics. Uh, but, you know, quantum physics has more to give and we're developing new technologies. Like quantum and computing? The, like quantum computers, for example, rather than trying to use quantum physics to explain the properties of bulk matter, so lots of atoms, we're using it, now we're using individual atoms to try to develop new technologies. And so there are, you know, amazing experiments that have happened, say, in the last 20 years, where we're able to trap individual atoms. Uh, like I Adam Driver, Adam lab... Levine. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, yeah, those. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in getting one of those in the lab, <laughs> shooting lasers at it. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so I think that that's amazing. I the ability to trap an individual atom is, is just mind-boggling is that something even, that even you could not have conceived of 15 years ago so i would say that when people were arguing about what quantum physics means what it tells us about the universe 50 60 years ago their point of view was like this is an academic exercise no one will ever be able to access an individual atom that was probably their attitude so you know these are interesting questions but practically irrelevant and and now we we can do it when alien spaceships break down do they use quantum mechanics to fix them sure yeah i got a toolkit i can sell you <laughs> that's right uh what is the next okay no i've got one question before that question what's better the iphone or the samsung well, I use a Google phone, so. <laughs> Is it superior? I'm, I'm one of those hipsters. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I've I've never been an an Apple product user. Uh, I I'm not a fan, really. I, it's all about the aesthetic, and that just doesn't appeal to me, actually. And it could be good. I don't know. What what's coming down the the pike for the rest of us that should be exciting for you know people like you. Who've been and is it hard to come up with experiments? It seems like I remember taking an astronomy class, 
and our professor was explaining like you know how these experiments came to be and i was like man it seems real like that seems like the hardest part is actually coming up and the the best class was evolutionary biology i took a class on the evolutionary biology of human sexual behavior which was actually far more technical than it sounds and on the first day the professor was like if you're in here to talk about boobies and boners we're not doing it just leave uh and <laughs> it was prob well it was right up there with the most scientifically rigorous classes i took but the the research the the projects to come up with the data uh they were they were really unorthodox and very funny but it seemed difficult <laughs> like i remember one woman who was in college who came up with an experiment for menstrual synchrony and i thought that was really fascinating is coming up with experiments the hardest thing for you well yeah in a sense yeah i'm a theorist so i don't do experiments Ex experiments that tackle like the really big questions are enormous like you think of a space telescope costs billions of dollars you know <laughs> take, takes you know decades to get into into a rocket and blast it into space or you think about cern like where they smash particles together yes another billion have dollar you been experiment. there you know, i've i've not been there do you hate uh, again, it again not so interested do i hate cern no <laughs> are you resentful of it no no um I think that's the way we're that's the way we're going as we tackle bigger and bigger questions they become questions that an, an individual can't answer and I, you know some people say that this highlights you know the collaborative and social nature of of people that we you know we're not going to have that sort of einstein anymore where it's an individual person that you know alone in a basement comes up with some great new theory it, it's all about co collaboration and large projects yeah which is great because a lot of people, people uh, who study physics they're not really social <laughs> chris I hate to break it to you well but jeff bezos yeah, they, thinks they that we should have, have a trillion people in the solar system he said because at any one time there will be a thousand mozarts and a thousand einsteins which i tend to agree with you uh, the, those, those classical geniuses essentially grew up in vacuums, which it, it's, it's impossible to try and recreate those circumstances based on where we are as kind of a global society. So I, I do have to ask you from your point of view, and I've asked other physicists this, and uh, they always kind of blow me off, but, you know, studying philosophy... The, the philosophers of science that I studied with all said that quantum physics requires philosophy in order to answer satisfactorily its most important questions. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Uh, yes. Quantum physics Woo! at its core is just an instruction manual for how to do laboratory experiments. If if you want it to say something beyond that, you have to go beyond textbook quantum physics, and you know it's it's muddy waters for sure, uh, but you know that's what philosophers have been doing for centuries. So yeah, but they kind of I mean it. they're in a lot of ways they're like quantum physicists, like they like things to sound really really difficult and speak in this jargon that no one else understands. Oh, classical philosophers are the worst. You know, they're writing like. <laughs> poems and stories that 
But it's good for business, right? Because then people can sit there trying to interpret what they meant for centuries. Yeah, absolutely. Modern philosophers are better. <laughs> Who's your favorite philosopher? I like phil My favorite philosopher. Uh, <laughs> there's, I think, there's options. I, I like, I like the uh, kind of existentialist kind of ones. Uh, Camus is probably, you know, if I had to, if I had to pick one. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm. You can't see me, but I'm making a jerk off motion in the studio right now. <laughs> Who's your favorite physicist? Oh, I don't like any physicists. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Chris Ferry is your favorite physicist. Do you think you'll win yeah. the Nobel Prize? Absolutely not. No. That's the attitude we're uh, looking I wasted, for. I wasted too much of my time writing books about going and bullshit. Well, hopefully uh, these books have enriched you. Uh, I, I read this book. I think it's fantastic. It is entertaining. Um, I learned so much. And uh, it sparked new questions while making me laugh all at the same time. So um, right. cheers to your filthy mouth and your big brain. <laughs> and thank you so much for taking time to talk to me on this podcast. I really appreciate it. I had fun. Thank you. You're awesome. All right. This has been Kennedy Saves the World. That was Chris Ferry, the book Quantum Bullshit, How to Ruin Your Life with Advice from Quantum Physics. I'm Kennedy. For more podcasts from my friends at Fox, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Oh, go ahead and leave me a review while you're there. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You've been listening to Kennedy Saves the World on the Fox News Podcast Network.